take your Bibles out with me and uh, open them up to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. We're going to be looking together at chapter 30, Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, as we continue learning about this man Jacob and what God did in his life and how it relates to God's purposes for us and uh, for God's people. We're going to be looking at the second half of the chapter, beginning in verse 25, working our way down to the end of the chapter. We live in a, a fallen world. We are sinners living amongst other sinners. And therefore, it is the common experience of all of us that at various times in our lives, we will be mistreated. At various times, the the sins of other people are directed towards us. We get treated unfairly. We are lied about. We are slandered. We are taken advantage of. We are verbally abused, emotionally abused, maybe even physically abused in some way. Being mistreated is sadly a part of the human experience in a fallen world. But even sadder, mistreating others is part of the human experience in this world. It is the common experience of all people that at various times we will be mistreated and at other times we are the ones who mistreat others. That we do something that treats somebody else unfairly. We are the ones who lie or make the slanderous comment. We are the ones who take advantage of another person or persons. We verbally abuse or emotionally abuse or, God forbid, even physically abuse another person. We manipulate people. We neglect people. We may even harbor bitter or hateful thoughts toward other people. This is what it means to be a fallen, sinful human being. And it should grieve us. As Christians, however, mistreating others should no longer characterize us. We we once did those things, and yes, occasionally we, we are tempted to fall back into those old patterns, those old attitudes, those old actions. But overall, Christians are people who have been changed so that now our lives are marked by love. Christians are those people who have experienced a radical change in their heart. They've they've been born again by the Spirit of God. They have fallen in love with Christ. They are trusting Christ. And now that very character of Christ is being formed within them. And so whereas we once treated others unfairly, we are now concerned and careful that we treat others with justice and with righteousness. We we no longer have the stomach for lies that we used to. We are a people concerned about truth. 
We long to, to, to be careful with our lips. We're, we're learning to guard our tongues. And rather than taking advantage of others for our own gain, we are learning to put the needs and the concerns of others before our own. We pursue peace rather than hostility with others. As Christ has loved us, as, as our Savior is loving us this moment, so we overflow in love to others. Now, we've still got a long ways to go, don't we, church? Just ask our family members. Just ask our friends. We're still battling old ways. But if we are true Christians, there has been this real substantial change in us and positive changes are continuing. However, just because we've changed doesn't mean the world around us has changed. Coming to Christ means that we stop mistreating others. It does not mean that we stop being mistreated. Indeed, being a Christian often means that we get mistreated even more. In our passage this morning, wicked, deceitful Jacob has changed. That is, he, is, he has become a follower of the true God. For 14 years now, he has been working for his uncle Laban and he's had his heart humbled. He's been growing wiser as he's lived through this difficult time. Laban was the kind of boss you do not want to work for. Laban was a greedy man, a severe man, a man that, that mistreats those around him. And yet Jacob was bound to remain with him until he had worked the full 14 years required by Laban to have his daughters as Jacob's wives. And now, as we come to verse 25, the 14 years of working under this hostile man are up. And Jacob can now take his family and, and get out of Laban's clutches. Let's begin reading in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go. For you know the service that I have given to you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob comes to Laban and, and asks that he and his family now be allowed to leave. And Laban could have responded graciously. He could have spoken kindly to Jacob, allowing Jacob to leave, making sure that Jacob now had all that he needed to start a, a life of his own. Later in Deuteronomy 15, God instructs that when an indentured servant is allowed to go free, his master should not let him go away empty-handed. That the master is to make sure that, that his servant, who is now set free, is furnished liberally from his own flock, from his own threshing floor, from his own wine press. 
And yet Jacob is Laban's own flesh and blood. Surely Laban would make sure that Jacob has everything that he needs and more to begin his his own life, to, to establish his own household with his own family there in the land of Canaan. That's not how Laban responds. In fact, we learn later that had Jacob truly decided to leave at this point, Laban would have given him absolutely nothing and sent him away empty-handed. Christians, we must not be like Laban here. We, We must not be stingy with what we have, nor uncaring to those who are in our families. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Laban does not want Jacob to leave, and he will do nothing to help Jacob leave. That's because Laban's desire is to exploit Jacob. Probably using his household gods, his idols, Laban has divined that Yahweh, Jehovah, Jacob's God, is the reason that he has been blessed over the last 14 years. Divination was very widespread in the ancient world, but the Mosaic Law would make it illegal for the people of Israel. It's likely that even demonic forces were at work in the practice of divination, and people could certainly learn things through the practice. This will become very important tonight when Rachel steals Laban's household gods so that he cannot learn where they have fled and which way they have gone. Using this practice, Laban has learned that it is because of Jacob that he is being blessed. It is because of Jacob that he is growing rich. And so Laban wants Jacob to stay so that his own prosperity can continue to increase. Now remember, Jacob is a foreigner in this land. And Jacob has always intended to go back to Canaan. God told him earlier he was to return to the land of his father Isaac. And so we have here something of the battle of of two wills. Jacob wants to leave and return to Canaan. Laban wants to do anything he can to keep Jacob with him so that his own wealth can increase. And so in this effort to keep Jacob around, Laban says, name your wages and I will give it. We'll look at verse 29 and see what happens. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So so you kind of see what's happening in in Jacob's mind. He's now ready to to begin establishing his own household with his own flocks, with his own resources. And since Laban is unwilling to give him anything, Jacob has an idea. And so let's pick up in verse 31. Laban speaking, verse 31, he said, What shall I give you? Don't be fooled by this. Laban has no intention of being generous to Jacob. And Jacob knows this. So Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. 
Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So you see, a a contract has been made. Jacob will continue to work for Laban. However, every speckled and spotted sheep or goat, every black sheep, these will be given to Jacob as his wages. And in this way, Jacob can begin building his own flocks for his own household to care for his own family in the day when they return to Canaan. But Laban, unwilling to let Jacob, the husband of his daughters, the the father of his grandchildren, Unwilling to let Jacob have anything, takes every one of the animals that would have become Jacob's and sends them away to the care of his sons. And this means, biologically speaking, as as these animals mate and give birth, there should be very, very few of the young that are speckled and spotted among the flocks that Jacob is caring for. Laban has stacked things so that Jacob is going to get very, very little out of this arrangement. And meanwhile, he's going to get more work from Jacob, and he's going to get more blessing from Jacob's God. You see, Laban thinks he kind of has this figured out. He, He thinks that he's playing Jacob, and he actually seems to think that he's playing Jacob's God, that he's manipulating them for his own gain. What he doesn't realize is that even in his own greed, he is the one who is being manipulated. Because six years from now, all the wealth and prosperity he thinks he is going to gain is going to leave him and be placed into the hands of Jacob. But let's see how things play out. Look down at verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted." And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. And whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And thus the man increased greatly. And had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. What are we to make of all this? (laughs) Jacob places stripped sticks in front of breeding animals and they produce spotted and speckled children. Is this sorcery? (laughs) 
What, what has Jacob gotten into here? Well, in chapter 31, we, we learn more. We'll see it tonight. It seems very likely that it is God who has instructed Jacob to do this through a dream. Like Abraham being called upon to, to sacrifice his son, or Naaman the leper being told to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times. This seems to have been something of a, of a test for Jacob. I don't think Jacob was diving into pagan superstition here, because he clearly understood that it was God who was causing these animals to bear spotted and speckled young. In the next chapter, he is over and over and over again going to give God the credit for the prosperity that he has come into. In fact, we learn a lot more in in the next chapter about what is happening here. We learn that over the six years that, that, that Jacob worked under this contract with Laban, Laban was constantly changing the terms of the deal. Laban constantly changed the wages of Jacob so that Jacob would not get much at all. Go over to chapter 31. Look at verse 6. Chapter 31 and look at verse 6. And let's just read verses 6 through 9. Jacob, now speaking to his wives, says, You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In other words, the more Laban did to mistreat Jacob, the more Jacob was blessed. And dear Christians, here is the truth that ought to bring a lot of comfort to you and me. When God's people are being mistreated, even then, God is blessing them. Let the forces of this world, let the forces of Satan do all they will to try and keep God from blessing His people, they cannot stop Him. God's people will be blessed. The promise to Abraham included this, I will bless you. In Jesus Christ, that promise is coming true. In Jesus Christ, that promise of blessing is yes and amen. Every person who believes on Christ is brought into that promise. Dear Christian, you can try everything you want to escape it, but surely... Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That word, follow, at the end of Psalm 23, means to give chase. It usually has a hostile meaning. Someone is tracking you down to do you violence. But in Psalm 23, we learn that God's children are those people who are being hunted down, tracked down by goodness and mercy. Not only for a day, but for every day of our lives. Nothing, not the worst mistreatment that this world can throw at us, can keep God from blessing His children. God is faithful. He said He will bless His people. They are surely blessed. Remember, the Old Testament loves to use types, shadows, to point to greater things to come. Here it is Jacob the man that God blesses even as he is being mistreated. Jacob will later have his name changed to Israel 
This is Israel the man being blessed by God even as he is being persecuted by his wicked uncle. And this points to the future when Israel the nation will experience something very similar. What do we find when we turn from the book of Genesis over into the book of Exodus? We find the nation of Israel in her infancy serving as slaves in Egypt. And what does Exodus 1 tell us about the Israelites? Listen to verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. It's the same principle. The more the world tried to persecute God's people, the more God blessed them. And this truth, which was experienced by both the man Israel and the nation Israel, was always pointing to the true Israel, the true Zion, the the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The more the church of Christ is abused and persecuted in the world, the more she will be blessed by her God and the more she will experience true prosperity. Think of the early church. right? Um, think about the early church in, in her very first days. They're in the city of Jerusalem. And there's this persecution that arose in Jerusalem. We're told that Stephen was stoned to death as the first Christian martyr. And in Acts 8, we read that Saul... Later, we know him as Paul, his, his Gentile name, it was approving this execution of Stephen. Listen to this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Here is the church at her very beginning and persecution has come. Mistreatment has come. Godly men and women are being made to leave their homes and flee for their lives. This was a dark time for the church of Christ. And yet it was a time of great light and great joy. As the people ran, they took the gospel with them. The very next verse in Acts 8 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Saul's efforts to stamp out the gospel resulted in the gospel reaching more and more places. Suddenly, the gospel is is being preached and believed in Samaria. Peter finds himself preaching to Gentiles in Caesarea. Saul is still an unbeliever. He's still an enemy of the gospel. He is not yet the apostle to the Gentiles, but already in his mistreatment of the church, God is using him to reach the Gentiles. He is mistreating the church, and the church is growing and being blessed. Even after Bible times, this principle continued to show itself. Each time the Roman Empire unleashed another wave of persecution against Christians, more people became Christians. Each time the Roman Empire tried to destroy the church, the church would grow in strength. Bruce Shelley says this, persecution in many instances helped to publicize the Christian faith. Martyrdoms 
were often witnessed by thousands in the amphitheater. The term martyr originally meant witness, and that is precisely what many Christians were at the moment of their death. The Roman public was hard and cruel, but it was not altogether without compassion. There is no doubt that the attitude of these martyrs, and particularly of the young women who suffered along with the men, made a deep impression. In instance after instance, what we find is cool courage in the face of torment, courtesy towards enemies, and a joyful acceptance of suffering as the way appointed by the Lord to lead to His heavenly kingdom. There are a number of cases of conversions of pagans in the very moment of witnessing the condemnation and death of Christians. It's the principle. Even in these dark days of women, the elderly, children being killed for their faith. Here were the, were the people of God being mistreated in the very worst ways the world could come up with. And even in the midst of this mistreatment, the church was growing and beginning to flourish. I hope you, you know the old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We look back over history. When was the church at its weakest? When were God's people least blessed in the history of the world? Was it not during the Middle Ages when the church of Christ became prominent and had few enemies and little suffering? When persecution began to end, when mistreatment all but ended, the church of Christ fell quickly into false teaching and into terrible sins, so that ultimately there was only a small remnant of true believers left for this period of a thousand years. But then we move to the days of the Reformation. The printing press is invented The Bible begins to be translated into different languages and more and more people can can read God's Word for themselves. Tyndale, Huss, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, Knox, these these guys are are used by God in in missionary ways. Suddenly the Gospel is spreading in, in Europe at a rate which has not been seen since the days of the early church. And what happens? Persecution returns. Mistreatment returns. More martyrdoms more imprisonments, more families being torn apart, more faithful Christians being abused and slandered and taken advantage of. And the more the mistreatment increases, the more the church of Christ grows and flourishes. And I would suggest that this is true even in our own day. Where has the church of Christ seen the greatest growth in the last 30 years? It's been in the most unlikely of places. Africa is now booming with believers in many of its nations. Take a country like Sudan. Some of the most intense persecution of Christians in the last 30 years has happened in Sudan. Literally hundreds of thousands of Christians may have lost their lives in this country over the last 30 years if reports are true. And yet, while Christians have been slain in mass in this country over the last three decades, the number of Christians in Sudan has gone from 1.6 million to 11 million in that amount of time. Africa is now sending missionaries to other parts of the world. 
China now has a huge Christian population. China. The the number of believers in, in India is growing rapidly. The places where the church is growing little, if not at all, are the places where the church has little enemies, little persecution, little mistreatment. A great example of this happened a couple of years ago when uh, the Episcopal Church, uh, the Anglican Communion, they, they decided that it would begin appointing homosexual leaders to lead their churches. And the Episcopal Church, many in, in the U.S., and as a, as a whole, the Episcopal Church in the U.S., the Episcopal Church in, uh, in Europe, they applauded the move. These churches had wandered so far away from the truth that, that they could no longer think rightly about the most basic of issues. They were willing to appoint homosexuals to lead in the churches. It was the Episcopal Church of Africa who refused to go this route, who led in breaking away from that, from that move and created a new Episcopal communion. Strange as it may sound, in many ways, the church in Africa is often healthier than the church in the West. You see, suffering does not mean that God has stopped blessing His people. Just the opposite. As we see in the life of Jacob, God often uses mistreatment and persecution to bring even greater blessing to His people. The more Laban tried to to hurt Jacob, even through this contract, it became the means of Jacob becoming wealthy and prosperous and blessed. Friends, this applies to us as individuals, too. When people mistreat us, God actually takes their wicked actions and makes them a source of our being blessed. We grow and mature. We become humbler and wiser. We have a greater longing for heaven and a greater dependence upon Christ because of the mistreatment that we endure. Why did John Bunyan... Look back at his years that he was in prison for preaching the gospel and say, bless you prison for having been in my life. You know, had had John Bunyan not been in prison, he, he probably would have made a real impact on the community where he was preaching. But because he was in prison, he couldn't preach, so he wrote. And he wrote books like Pilgrim's Progress. And God used him to make an impact far beyond his own community. It was through his mistreatment that he and the church of Christ were greatly blessed. Friends, how how does this apply in this season of your life? Who is mistreating you? In what ways are you being wronged? And do you think that God is no longer blessing you? I would say, rubbish. You may not yet see it, but mistreatment usually means that God is doing something more to bless you than at other times in your life. What are you being taught? What are you learning through this? Is your pride being killed? Are you learning to look more to Christ? If I was to say... There's one chief doctrine of this passage. I would say it's this. God blesses His people even under mistreatment. Now, 
If you believe that, how should it affect you? And how should it change you? What should be different about the way Christians respond to mistreatment than the way others respond to mistreatment? I want to close with five ways we should respond when we are being mistreated or persecuted. Five ways we should respond. There could be a lot more than this. but One, we should be careful to discern whether or not we are truly being mistreated or not. First, we need to make sure when we say we are being mistreated that we are I say that first because sadly, there are times in our lives when we are simply reaping what we sow, but we are so blinded by our pride that we think we're being treated unfairly. Tonight, Laban is going to act this way. As we get into Genesis 31, Laban, who has been so wicked towards Jacob and his daughters, Laban is going to reap a little of what he has sown tonight, but he's going to be so blinded by his selfish greed that he's going to think that he is the one being wrong. He's going to think that he is the victim in this scenario. And sometimes we get so caught up in how we are being hurt and trying to get out of the hurt that we don't take time to realize maybe we're getting our just desserts. So we need to be careful that we don't accuse others of mistreating us until we've done some careful self-examination. But then second, when we are truly being mistreated by others, we should be careful to respond by thanking God. By thanking God. We are not only to be thankful in the pleasant times of our lives, but we are to be thankful in the hard times of our lives. We are to be thankful in all circumstances. Just because it doesn't feel like blessing doesn't mean that God isn't blessing. One day we will look back and see the wisdom and the love of God in that mistreatment that we had to endure. So whether we can see it yet, whether we understand why we are being mistreated, we should respond with gratitude to God. Not with grumbling. Third, we should respond with confidence in God. We should respond with confidence in God. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, what reason do we have to fear? So we should not be trembling in our boots because of what we're experiencing. We should not get all worked up and in a a tizzy, I guess as they used to say, you know, where where you get full of anxiety and full of despair. As Christians, there should be peace in our hearts, even when the world around us doesn't seem to be at peace. The body they may kill. Yeah, the body they may kill. But God's truth abideth still. The glory of God, the salvation of my soul, the future of Christ's church. None of these can be damaged by anything the world throws at you. Anything Satan throws at you. The worst mistreatment that this world puts on you cannot change the fact that you are Christ, you are secure, and you're going to go to heaven. You're a true believer. And so there's a reason for peace. When you have been wronged, Find your confidence to respond rightly in God and by knowing who you are in Christ. Fourth, whenever we are being mistreated, we should have greater concern for the ones mistreating us than for ourselves. 
We should have greater concern for the ones mistreating us than for ourselves. Why? We're okay. This life is going to pass. Heaven awaits us. Maybe we're experiencing physical pain. Maybe we're experiencing emotional pain. Maybe the way we've been mistreated has caused us to suffer a large financial loss. Maybe a relationship of trust has been broken. I do not want to diminish those things or act as if they don't truly hurt. They do. And some of you in this room know the hurts of being treated wrongly far more than I do. But the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When we have confidence in God, and we have peace in our hearts through Christ, we can respond to those mistreating us with good rather than with evil. We can love our enemies. And we can pray for those who persecute us. We can overcome evil with good. We can have compassion on that overbearing boss. We, We can have compassion on their souls and respond to their selfish acts with sacrifice. However we respond to those who are mistreating us, we should respond with love for God, love for His people, love for the souls of those around us, but particularly love for the ones who are hurting us. And then fifth and finally, knowing that you are truly being mistreated, with gratitude in your heart, with confidence in God, with love for your mistreaters, you should look for wisdom concerning the best way to respond. In Jacob's case, God appears to have revealed to him how he was to act. In a lot of ways, God used Jacob as an instrument of humbling in Laban's life. Laban ends up with the weaker of the animals and the less valuable flocks. God uses Jacob to bring uh, judgment, humiliation on to Laban. But how would God have you respond to those who take advantage of you? How would God have you respond to those who are mistreating you? This is not always easy and clean cut. This can be a really difficult, messy issue. We are to turn the other cheek. We are also to stand up for justice and righteousness. We're not to be too concerned about our own losses, but we must be concerned that we don't enable those who are hurting us to continue in their sin. And so we must go to the Word. And we must be much in prayer And we must look to the counsel of of other wiser Christians around us. We also pray that God would give us wisdom to respond well. But even in the midst of the mistreatment, even in the midst of the hurt and, and the difficulties of figuring out how to respond, we have this comfort as Christians. Even now, God is blessing me. Even now, God is doing something for my good. Purchased by the very blood of Christ. Laban, try all you will. Jacob will be blessed. World, try all you will. God's people will be blessed. The meek shall inherit the earth. The pure in heart shall see God. 
There is nothing that anyone or anything can do to change that. God is faithful. He has made all of this true through Christ. And so, friends, I would encourage us to rest in Christ. To cast our every care, our every hurt, our every anxiety upon Him. And then to respond with love. To respond with confidence in our God. To respond with peace in our hearts to those who would take advantage of us or hurt us. Amen? Amen. I always worry when I preach a sermon like this because I, I, I didn't choose to preach this passage. It just comes verse by verse and it always makes you wonder why, why is God wanting us to hear this right now? <laughs> what's, what's coming up next week? So um, I don't know who, who in here may have something big coming up, but uh, let's pray for one another and pray that God would give us the spirit to respond well. Let's take a few moments and pray. Let's just go ahead and uh, I'd encourage you to, to take some time privately and talk to the Lord. Ask the Father whether, whether you've heard and whether your, your heart is where it ought to be in regard to these things. Are you resting in Christ? Are you at a place where you can have peace in your soul even if...